Heavenly Father, I thank you for each uh, person who is here today. Thank you for a new year of life. And we pray that you would open our eyes to see the wonder of Christ in a deeper way today and throughout this year that we might worship him in spirit and in truth. In your name I pray these things. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I wonder if, uh, if you still have your Christmas lights on. I noticed last night there were still some houses in the neighborhood that had their Christmas lights on. How about you? Or do you observe that 12-day of Christmas cutoff? And uh, lights are, are down, decorations are put away for another year. This is the, the season of Epiphany in the church calendar. And actually, light is most appropriate for this season. Uh, the, the word Epiphany contains a Greek word, phaino, which means light. Uh, shining, brightness. Epiphany means revelation. It means manifestation. And during this season, in our readings, we will see the unfolding revelation of who Christ is. The divine light shining on the truth of who Christ is. We can often take light for granted, can't we, in our, in our modern world? Uh, we can even take beautiful uh, light for granted. Uh, some of us last Saturday went with the youth group to the St. Louis Zoo. They had a display called Wild Lights. And uh, there were beautiful displays, multicolored displays of light throughout the zoo. And uh, at first, at least my experience was, it was quite spectacular and beautiful to see this light. But then after walking around for a while, it just all kind of blends in together. And, uh, and you can take it for granted. The wonder can wear off. And there are some people who, because of their deeds, are afraid of the light. They, they don't want to be exposed to the light. The last thing that a criminal wants is the spotlight on, on him. All sorts of misdeeds and mischief is conducted under the cover of darkness. So there are people who are afraid of light. Different responses to the light, depending on where we're at. And so it is with the light of Christ. There are different responses to the light of Christ, depending on where we're at spiritually. And uh, I want to look at the responses to the light of Christ that we see in the Gospel reading today, the story of the Magi. Very familiar story. Because these responses are still with us today. The way that people are responding to this revelation of Christ. There are three responses here. There's the response of the Magi, which is to worship. To worship the Christ. Then there's the response of Herod as the story unfolds. We, we just get the beginning of Herod's story here, but as the story unfolds, you see great hostility to the light of Christ. He's threatened by this light. He wants to extinguish it. And then there's a response here in the story of indifference to the light of Christ, to the revelation of Christ. And I want us to consider today, how are we responding today to the truth of who Christ is? And so first, let's look at this response of worship. We see this in the, in the wise men, the magi from the east, when they come to Jerusalem, they say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. We've come to worship him. Now, of course, these magi didn't know everything about Christ. They could not have articulated that this child who was born in Bethlehem was the eternal Son of God, God in the flesh, God incarnate. Uh, they did not understand that the kingdom of, of Christ would be a kingdom that's different from the kingdoms of this world. Uh, they certainly would not have known that this child who was born in Bethlehem would die on a cross. So they had very limited knowledge of who Christ was, but they responded to the revelation that God gave them. We don't know much about the Magi. We really don't know that much. We know they were from the east. They could have been Jews, actually, who stayed in Babylon after the exile. But, of course, the majority opinion is that these were Gentiles, that these were Gentile pagans who were expert in, in ancient religious texts. They were, ancient, they were experts in astronomy, and in those days, the study of astronomy, the study of the stars, bled over into astrology, looking to the stars, looking to the planets for signs. And there was an ancient prophecy in the Old Testament from Numbers 24, 17, that a star would come out of Jacob. And, and, and so these magi, it seems... You uh, were somewhat familiar with ancient prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures and were astronomers and perhaps astrologers looking to the heavens for signs. And by the way, God forbids his people to practice any kind of fortune telling. Deuteronomy 18 and there's other scriptures as well. Christians are not to have anything to do with horoscopes and looking to the stars. We're to trust God alone with our future. Uh, we're not to worship or look to created things for guidance and wisdom, but the Creator alone. I just want to put that out there because this kind of practice is, is in resurgence even today in America. So God's people are to turn away from these things. But God in His mercy, He, he, he uses what the Magi knew and in even possibly their erroneous belief to lead them to the true Christ. Is there anybody here who is thankful for the mercy of God in Christ? <laughs> that he can reveal to us, even in erroneous states, even in our superstition, even in our lostness, that he can reveal his grace and mercy, he can break into our lives? God is so good to do that. And so he's leading them to the true Christ. He led them by a star, it says, to the place where Christ was. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy we read about in Isaiah 60, that people from Gentile lands would come into Zion, into the holy city, into Jerusalem, and they would bring their precious gifts of gold and frankincense, and they would offer it to the God of Israel as an act of worship and homage. What Matthew is saying here is that this Christ, this Jewish king, is for everybody. And everyone ought to worship this Christ. He's the king of the world. No matter what race, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what background. He's Christ the King. And so the response of the Magi to the light of Christ 
based on their limited understanding, was simply to worship him. We've come to worship him. And then they, they get to the Christ child and they see Mary with baby Jesus. And it says that they fell down. This is an act of worship. And they worshipped him and they gave him these precious gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Friends, when we understand who Christ is, the natural response is this. Adoration. Worship. Giving of ourselves to him. The more we understand who Christ is, the deeper our worship and sacrifice will be. The problem is, is we can lose the sense of wonder. I can lose the sense of wonder about who Christ is. So I need that renewed in my heart. How about you today? You know, we don't have royalty, of course. There's no monarchy in the United States. No kings or queens. So we're not used to this idea of paying homage to a king. But we do have royalty in the United States They're called celebrities. (laughs) How do people react to celebrities in our culture when they when they encounter them? You know, they encounter their presence. Well, I guess it depends on the person, but we have our celebrities. I'm going to get in trouble with my daughters here. But look at how young girls are reacting to Taylor Swift today. You know, uh, in the old days, it was Beatlemania, right? Beatlemania, when the Beatles came, people went crazy. And then when I was growing up, it was the grunge bands. People would go crazy over them. And now you look at how young girls are acting when they go to a Taylor Swift concert. Have you seen these videos? I mean, they go delirious with joy. They start to cry. Some of them reaching out their hands to Taylor Swift. And if it's not like they're actually worshiping, it is worship-like. It is adoration. Why? Because they place such value on her worth and on her talent that their spontaneous reaction is joy and adoration. And that's what worship means. Worship contains this idea of acknowledging the worth of somebody. The old English word worship contains this idea of worthyship. This person is worthy of adoration. And praise. And that's what we see in the Magi's response. There is joy. There is adoration. There is falling down. There is offering precious things to this king. That is the right response when we understand who Christ is. That God's promised Messiah has come into the world. Are you and I worshipers of Christ? Do we want to be deeper Worshippers of Christ this year. There's another response we see to the light of Christ, and it's a tragic response. It's hostility. It's a desire to move away from the light or extinguish the light, to kill it. And this was King Herod's response. It says, verse 3, when Herod heard about this Christ child, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, all Jerusalem with him, because at this point, Herod was a paranoid old man and he could just go off the rails. And it could create all kinds of disturbance and upheaval in Jerusalem. Herod Herod 
wanted to destroy any threat to his throne, whether it was perceived or real. And so Herod had killed many people who he thought were rivals to his throne. He killed three of his sons. He killed his uncle. He killed anybody. He killed people. I shouldn't say anybody, but he did kill people who offended him. This was a man who had a murder script on power. He killed his mother-in-law. He had ten wives. He killed his favorite wife because he thought she may have committed adultery, that she had been unfaithful. This was the kind of man that Herod was. All about his own power and keeping a grip on his power and glory. So it's awful to read later on in Matthew 2, but not surprising that Herod ordered the slaughter of all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region because he saw the Christ child as a threat to his throne. His title given to him by the Roman government was King of Judea, King of the Jews. And here he's learning about this other king who's being born. And so his response was, this child is a rival. He's a threat. I'm going to extinguish this light. Now, Herod was a unique figure, of course, uniquely awful in some ways. But there's something universal about his response to Christ. He sees Christ as a threat to his throne, and in a sense, he's right. Because Christ calls for our absolute allegiance and obedience and worship. And each of us must decide who's on the throne of our lives. Is it an idol of the world? That's on the throne of our lives. Is it money? Is it sex? Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it comfort? Is it convenience? Is there an idol of the world on the throne of our heart that is driving us? Is it a God of our own making, our own imagination? Or is it the God revealed in Christ? There's only room for one person on the throne. And the problem is, because of our sin, we all have a little Herod in us. And Jesus is a threat. Jesus is our threat. A threat to our desire to have power over people rather than to serve them. Jesus is a threat to our desire to gain glory and honor for ourselves rather than to gain glory for God. Jesus is a threat to our desire to live according to our own rules and our own desires rather than the law of God. Jesus is a threat to that. But the light of Christ cannot be extinguished because it's the light of God. And what we see Herod trying to do later on in Matthew 2 is to kill the Christ child. It doesn't work. It doesn't succeed because God is sovereign. Herod's kingdom is a historical footnote. The kingdom of Christ is a living reality. No power could stop God's kingdom coming in Christ. No power is going to stop Christ from coming again. If we are fighting against Christ in our heart, we are fighting a losing battle. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. Is there something in my heart? Is there something in your heart that is Herod-like? That is opposing, that is resisting 
the rule, the complete rule of Christ over you? If so, we need to consider that and make it a matter of prayer and repentance. So, one response to the light of Christ, the appropriate response, is to fall down and worship. But another response is to extinguish, try to extinguish the light, try to get outside of the influence of Christ. We see that in our world today. That's a losing battle. But the third response we see is indifference and complacency. We see this on the part of the religious leaders. Herod assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, here were men who dedicated their lives to the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures about the coming of the Messiah, the promise of the King, the King of Israel. They could quote chapter and verse. We see it here. They quoted the prophecy from Micah, a prophecy that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ about the coming of Christ out of Bethlehem, that He would be born in Bethlehem. They knew this prophecy. They had just been told by these magi, these strange visitors from the east, that, that there's a star that, that heralds the birth of, of this Christ child. And you would have thought that even if they were skeptical, and I probably would have been one of those who were skeptical, even if they were skeptical, they would have said, let's just send a delegation to check this out. Let, let's just send some people. Bethlehem's just five miles south of Jerusalem. Not a big deal. Let's go check this out. But they didn't go. It was too much trouble. Think about this. How long did the Magi travel to encounter the Messiah? These were sincere seekers. How long did they did it take them to get there? How arduous their journey may have been. There may have been times where the Magi thought, this is, this is kind of crazy. Let's, maybe maybe this, is, this is folly. T.S. Eliot, in his poem on the journey of the Magi, imagines them saying, A hard time we had of it. We preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with voices singing in our ears, saying that it was all folly. A hard time we had of it. There may have been doubts, but they kept going. They kept responding to the light that God was giving them. But these religious leaders of Jerusalem, these were the leaders, the religious leaders of the people of Israel. They could not be bothered. And one of the criticisms, one of the contemporary criticisms of the Jerusalem religious class, and you see it in John the Baptist's kind of reaction against the religious leaders and his movement outside of Jerusalem in the wilderness. You see it in contemporary literature with this community called the Essenes. There were Jewish people who were dedicated to God and they looked to the religious leaders in Jerusalem and they said, those people, so many of them are compromised. They're compromised by their wealth, their power, and their connection to political power. And so... They were religiously or spiritually complacent. And what we see in the Gospels as it unfolds is that this indifference to Christ on the part of the religious leaders turns to Herod-like hostility to Christ because they become jealous 
of Jesus' authority and power and popularity. They don't like what Jesus is saying, and that leads them to plot to put him to death on the cross. And this is the tragedy of the gospel. John 1, he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. The revelation was there, but so many were indifferent, complacent, and became hostile. And friends, there's a warning here for us. There's a warning here for me. There's a warning here for religious people and religious leaders. That we too can get compromised. That, that the same things, the same forces that led the religious leaders of Jerusalem to become spiritually complacent and indifferent and maybe even unbelieving. Those forces are at work today. And especially when it comes, as we've seen it, in the churches. That church leaders can be corrupted by power and politics and pleasure. And there's a warning here for us, and especially for people like me, to not be compromised in that way. Let's watch out for indifference. Let's watch out for complacency in our hearts. This can grow. It doesn't stay stagnant. It's like... A piece of, of bread that's got a spot of mold on it. If you don't take that mold out, it's going to grow into something ugly. And that's how spiritual complacency can get in our hearts. We have to deal with it by turning to Christ in repentance. And so this year, let's pray that God would grant us a greater sense of the wonder of who Christ is each day. The wonder of the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that this wonder would lead us, like the Magi, to a place of worship. Of bowing down before Him. At the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we see these Magi coming and saying, Where is He who was born King of the Jews? They understood that was His title, King of the Jews. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, that title comes back. This time it's hanging over the cross of Christ. This is the king of the Jews. The accusation, it says in Matthew 27, 37, was posted against him, written against him. This is the king of the Jews. The Christ child who was born, was born to die for our sin. And in light of the Christ, we know better than the Magi, the wonder and worth of our king who died for our sins, to reconcile us to God, to forgive us. Not only that, but to take on, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might be the righteousness of God. He took our darkness that we might be light. He took our impurity that we might stand before a pure and holy God. This is our King. This is what he's done. And so let's follow, brothers and sisters, the example of these magi. In 2024, falling down before him, worshiping him, honoring him with all that we have, with our vocation, with our family, with our resources, because he's worthy of it. Amen. Let's pray.
God, help us to do just that. Help us to recover and grow a sense of wonder at your worth that we might respond in adoration, in homage, and honor you with our entire life, that you might be glorified. Help us, Lord God, to invest in the things of your kingdom for your glory. Help us, O God, to see more people. Lord, we long to see more people join us to worship Christ. We pray that the light of your kingdom would grow in us and in our families and in our church, our neighborhood and our workplaces. But help that to start in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.